The passage this evening is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. My original plan was just going to be probably the last couple of verses, spend a lot of time looking at these and you know, just really dive deep in them. But the more I was studying these last couple of verses, I just kept thinking, I can't just do this without touching on basically the rest of the chapter. So I just kept looking at it and thinking, we need to lay the foundation because that's what Paul does. So I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through the chapter. Uh, if it helps you not fall asleep, you can follow along in your Bible. I'll be reading in the New King James, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? 
I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and you are so powerful. As we look to you tonight, let us just be reminded of what you have done and the hope and confidence that we have in you. Let us go away from here, confident that we will be raised and that we can serve you because of it. Let us honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I love kayaking. And I live right by a river and right by a lake. We actually have a dock on the river. So it's really easy to take a kayak out and just start paddling around. I'll do that every spring 
every summer, even the fall, but not the winter, for obvious reasons. So one spring, I took my kayak out. It was my first time that year. I'd grown a little over the winter, but probably not that much. Keep that in mind. It was also kind of a windy day. Keep that in mind. So I was kayaking out down this river. I was with my sisters, and I looked out, and I saw something. And I thought, I need to get a better look at this something. Now, I stand up in my kayak all the time. I'm used to it. I've always kayaked. It's so easy. I just stand up, and I'm fine. Keep in mind, I've grown, and it's a little windy. So I think, I need to get a better look at this. So I stand up. Thankfully, I keep standing. Unthankfully, it's in the river now, as my kayak has just turned over. It was not solid. You know, I thought it was, but the wind took me over with my extra height. I didn't realize how it changed. It was unsteady. After that, I was a lot more careful when I stood up in my kayak. I made sure that I had my balance. I made sure that I wasn't going to bloop. I made sure that I was firm and secure. Now imagine a cruise ship. This is a massive boat carrying a lot of people. Now you're going by, you've grown a little bit over the winter and it's kind of a windy day, but you're not going to be afraid about standing up on that boat because you know it's solid. A windy day or a little bit of extra height isn't going to change anything. You can stand up, you can run, you can jump, you can play, and that boat is going to stay firm. We need to have a good foundation. And we need to trust in that foundation. And in this chapter, Paul lays that foundation out. And then he says what we should do as a result of it. He says, this is the foundation of our Christian life. This is where it's rooted. And then the end of the chapter, what I was really planning on preaching on, this is what you do as a result. So I'm going to give just a really brief overview. I'm going to not do justice to any of it whatsoever. But I'm just going to give a brief overview of what is our foundation. What does Paul say in this chapter, and how do we live as a result of that? Let's start in the beginning. The gospel. That's really what Paul starts with. 1 Corinthians 15, the beginning of it, is probably something that you're very familiar with already. Maybe you even have them memorized, these verses. But they're really important that we look at why Paul says them, and how Paul says them. He starts out, and he says, this is the gospel. I preached it to you, and you stand in it. And then he says, this is what happened. Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose according to the scriptures. He's giving evidence, really. He says, this is the gospel, and it's by the scriptures. It actually happened. It was God's plan. We can look in the Old Testament and see this is what the gospel is. This is what's going to happen. It's sure. And then he continues going. He says, eyewitnesses. In Jewish law, it only took two people to condemn someone to death. You know, Jesus, after rising from the dead, had more than 500 witnesses. And Paul, at the time of writing this, could say most of them are still alive. Go knock on their door and ask them. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. You can ask people, and you know. And it's not just ordinary lay people. It's the apostles. The apostles saw them. These leaders in the church. These ones who do these miracles. These ones who are authoritative and write gospels. These ones who write letters. These apostles are eyewitnesses. And they will tell you, I saw Jesus Christ. Yeah, he rose from the dead. And if that's not enough, 
Paul is not an eyewitness. You know, just saying it's according to the scriptures. The scriptures are authoritative. That's enough. But Paul continues laying it out. And he says, I'm writing this to you as one who has seen Jesus Christ. I am an eyewitness personally of him. I have seen him. I know that he is raised. I know that he is risen, just as he said. So then he continues. Now if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, verse 12, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? What is this? You know, if we say that Christ is risen, why do you say there is no resurrection? Because if there isn't one, then Christ didn't raise. How can you look at Christ as he's just proven Jesus rose from the dead? I just showed it to you. This happened. And you're saying that people don't raise from the dead? Like, what kind of question is that? Yes, they do. Let's take a moment and consider what if they didn't? Well, if people don't raise from the dead, that's because Jesus didn't. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you know what your faith is worth? Not very much. Jesus did raise from the dead, and so do other people. If we don't have that hope, we're pitiable. Why do we live like this? What's the point if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if there is no resurrection, of sitting in a pew and listening to some college student preach at you for a few minutes? Why would you be doing this? Go home and do whatever you feel like doing. I don't know. That's what it is if there is no resurrection. That's what it is if Christ didn't raise. But then he says, but Jesus is alive. But Jesus has been raised. Jesus is risen. He is our risen Savior. And because of that, we should live in a righteous manner. He says that. We should live according to righteousness. And then there's another question. What if someone else comes up to him and says, okay, okay, so we're agreeing, yeah, maybe the dead raise, but how will they be raised? You know, I think that's important. What manner will they be raised? You know, somebody will raise that objection. But Paul addresses that one too. He says, it's really a foolish question. I mean, you look at where he says that. He says, uh, if I can find the verse real quick. Foolish one, in verse 36. Verse 35, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one. I mean, that's not usually the most polite answer, you know. Like, hey, maybe you should reconsider that question. I don't think it's the, the best. Maybe think about this. No, he says foolish one. And then he answers. And then he says, our new body will be heavenly. There's different types of flesh. There's different types of bodies. There's different types of glories. But we will be raised in incorruption. We will be raised in glory. We will be raised in power. We will be raised in a spiritual body. And then he says something about the Adams. He says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The first Adam was given life. The second Adam gives life. Jesus rose from the dead, and he is a life-giving spirit. Jesus is that life-giving spirit. And then we are going to be raised in the image of that second Adam. Verse 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, as we are made after Adam, as we look like him, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 
we will bear the image of Christ. You notice he's not saying, I hope so, or probably, or maybe, or I think, or statistically, or something like that. He's saying we will. Paul isn't doubting. Do you know why? Remember what he said at the start. Because the gospel, because Christ is risen, because the dead are raised, because that's who God is, because that's what Christ has done. So we have hope. That's what we're looking at. We will be raised. And then in verse 50 on, he really uses expressive language. I mean, we won't all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast does an eye twinkle? I don't know, try to count it sometime. It's really fast. We will be raised in the twinkling of an eye. The trumpet will sound and we will be raised and we will be changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. That's a must. And then he says, when it has happened, then this saying from scripture is completed. He's not saying if it happens. He's saying when it's already gone, because I know that it will happen. When it's already happened, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our victory. That's our hope. That's our foundation. That's where we're standing. Think about that man in the cruise ship again. Think about a man who they finally convince him to get on and then he's sitting there and he will not get up from a seat they, that he sits down in. He says, but if I stand up too quickly, this cruise ship will fall over. I know it will. You know, it's going to happen. It might tip over. Maybe if I move around a little bit too much, it's going to you know, tip and that'd be a disaster. That sounds ridiculous. I mean, it's a cruise ship. What are we standing on? But then think about your life. What are you standing on and how do you live? I'm standing on the firmest foundation that has ever been laid, the power of God and the gospel. Am I living like it? Are you living like it? Are you sitting in that chair afraid to get up lest something tips over? Are you walking confidently around on that foundation of the gospel. Paul says in these last couple of verses how we are to live. He says to be thankful because we have victory in Christ. And then he says to be steadfast, to be immovable. Our confidence cannot waver. Our hope cannot be shaken because our foundation can't be. But make sure that's where your hope is. You can't be steadfast and immovable on something else. If you put your faith in your money, in your job, even attending church can become your hope. I'm not saying don't go to church, by the way. But make sure that's not what your hope is. Make sure it's the God of church, not church. Make sure it's not the building, but make sure it's God the gospel. Make sure it's the resurrection. It's Christ. It's power. It's his victory over death. Make sure that's what you're standing on. 
And when you're sure that's what you're standing on, be steadfast, be immovable, do not be shaken by the wind and the waves of life. And then, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding is a lot. It's not just always, and it's not just abounding. It's the two of them together. You're doing a lot of work a lot of the time for God. You're serving. You're taking what he's given you, and you're using it for him. You know, everything that you have is a stewardship. All your gifts, all your abilities, the stuff that you have, even your friendships, your relationships, They're all stewardships, and they're all to be used for him, and you should be serving him in all of those. I should be serving him in all of those. They're things that we need to use for him, to serve him, to abound in his work. We can do labor not for the Lord, but that labor is not worth it. Because when we labor in the Lord, we know that it's not in vain. And how cool is that? I might not see what my labor is accomplishing. I might not know exactly what's happening. I might not see the change in people's hearts. I might witness to somebody and never hear from them again. But I know that I'm serving God. It is enough to serve my Savior. It is enough to rest in Him. It is enough to trust Him. So as you go out, serve. Trust. Do not be shaken. Do not be moved by the waves and the winds of life. But stand steadfast, immovable in God, using what he has given you for him. Let's pray. Lord, you are so trustworthy. We do not understand just how much confidence we can have in you, and we do not live with the confidence that we ought. Lord, True faith is obedience. True trust leads to work. And as we truly are trusting in you, it will show itself in our actions, in our deeds, even in our words, Lord. So let us, in seeing this foundation that we have, in this hope that we have in you, let us not be shaken, but let us truly trust in you. Let us rest in your grace that has counted us worthy to come into your presence, only by the work of Christ. Thank you that we have a future hope in resurrection because Christ rose from the dead. Let us always live for you. In Jesus' name.